Let's go in our Bibles, or you can find it also printed in your bulletins today. The passage that we're studying today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Uh, we'll be reading um, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. This is the Word of God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abihad, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of, priesthood, of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the power, in the spirit of the pa and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make a straight for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, or Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at, this, at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And, he, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth 
conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when I look on when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let us pray. We do thank you, Lord, that you empty yourself to come to this world, to take the form of a servant, to dwell among us, to go to the cross, to die for our salvation. We thank you, Father, that you send the Son on this mission and that you both send the Holy Spirit to us to give us understanding of this truth, the gospel, the good news that you have brought to the world. We thank you that we can be here together to celebrate your victory, which is our victory. Help us, Lord, to rejoice as we, uh, what we read today. Help us, Lord, to have understanding of what we read today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is, some people will say, the most wonderful time of the year. Some people will say, because as our brothers have asked us to pray for some people, this is a very difficult time. It's a time when they remember loved ones that have gone to be with the Lord and people that are not around with them and and this brings sadness to them. But in general, Christmas is characterized for being a joyful time. A time when uh, you see decoration that you don't see for the rest of the year. For example, I think that you look at our church and this is the best time of the year in terms of decoration. How the church looks like because we are celebrating the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you walk through the neighborhoods and you see streets that normally will look like just a regular street with lights and decoration, especially at nighttime. I think that during the daytime it looks like a mess in front of the houses, but at nighttime it looks beautiful. It makes the houses look beautiful with all the decoration. And there is nice music, at least for some people, like music, nice music, in the radio, uh, also great food. It's hard to keep your diet during this time of the year. Um, there is all kind of parties, celebrations, events, and all these things are good things that happen during this time of the year. But we better not forget why we do all these things. What is Christmas about? Because a lot of people, in fact, a lot of people don't know why they do all these things. They, they know that, that, that we're celebrating a Christmas or a Christian uh, time, but, but many people don't know that Christmas is about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be tempted also to be distracted by all the beautiful things that we experience and see during Christmas time that we forget what is Christmas about? What is the real meaning of Christmas? And that's why most of the churches, including our church, uh, try to focus during this month 
in remembering the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, in going to passages that are maybe familiar to most of us, but to, in order to remember why we celebrate Christmas. We could say Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. We can point also to Easter, right? When Christ went to die on the cross, this is also a wonderful time of the year. But we go to these passages during these two seasons, during the year, because it is important that we refresh our minds in the gospel, the good news, why Christ came and why we call ourselves Christians and why we worship our God. And this is what we're going to be doing these three weeks, uh, starting from today. We're going to study some passages from the book of Luke. We are actually going to focus only in chapter 1. It's going to be chapter 1, verse 5 until verse 55. And today we're focusing in these uh, verses, verses 5 through 25, where we are looking at a prelude of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for today's outline, I'm going to or want to do something different. Rather than trying to find points that are all connected, I want to look at this as different scenes, different moves in the story, and I have titled them according to what I have studied during this week. The first one is godliness and barrenness. Godliness and barrenness. We start, uh, John, or Luke starts us telling us, that this event happened in the days of King of Herod, King of Judea. As a good historian, he is trying to help us to put the story in context, to find a historical connection point. But I think that more than that, what Luke is trying to help us or trying to help us to do is to see that when this event happened, it happened in a time when there was a king or a person that was in charge that was no a nice man. He was a tyrant. He had achieved a lot of things in terms of constructions, but he was an insecure man who uh, made God's people suffer. And he was living under the Roman occupation, the Roman Empire, and therefore life for the people of God was no easy. Now, there is another important thing to remember when we come to this passage is that God has not spoken to God's people for about 400 years. Think for a moment on that. The people of God have heard God's voice for many centuries through the prophets that God sent to them in order to encourage them, to remind them of the promises that he has given to them to exhort them when they were not walking according to God's plans. But for 400 years, about maybe five generations, God's people have no hair from a prophet. Some people in Israel, I think, will have thought that God forgot about them. Some people maybe wonder if those stories that they hear from their parents were, were even real. Because there was this period of time when God wasn't talking to Israel through prophets. Now, there were people in Israel who trusted in what they have received of the Word of God, the Old Testament, and therefore they were praying that God will fulfill the promises that he had given 
to his people. That's the time when Luke introduces this couple, this couple who are Zechariah and Elizabeth. He tells us that Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth was also uh, from the family or the daughters of Aaron. Therefore, they were both people that were dedicated to serve the Lord. But something important about them is that they were godly people, that they were people who were righteous before the Lord. You see that in verse 6. They were both righteous before God. It doesn't say that they were righteous in the sight of the people of Israel, that people of Israel saw them uh, acting righteously like people who were following the commandments, but they were righteous before God. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. It says that they, walked, they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the status of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were sinless. But what it means, I think, is that they were genuinely from their hearts seeking to do God's will. They have a heart for God. And they were seen as, as any one of us will seen, but they were before God in the in the eyes of God, they were walking according to God's status. Why is it so important that Luke tell us this about this couple? Because of what he says afterwards. But they had no child. And why is Luke making a contrast here between being righteous and walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the fact that they had no children. It is because at that time it was seen by people around them that somebody who had no children probably wasn't walking blamelessly before God and that might be the reason why God wasn't blessing them. Because to have children today is important, but to have children at that time was very important. It was a sign that God was blessing them. And John, sorry, I keep going back to John because we are studying John, but Luke is making sure to let us know that though they had no children, that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years, they were walking blamelessly before God. They were praising God with their lives. It is true that when... Uh, we commit sins, these sins bring consequences to our lives. In fact, it is true that some of the sins of our parents bring consequences to our lives. That's true. But that's not the case for every person that is struggle and have difficult times. In fact, that wasn't the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth. The fact that they didn't have children or had no children for a long time it was part of God's plan to bring glory to his name. There are Christians who love the Lord, walk blamelessly before the Lord, and they are persecuted because they are Christians. And in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God allowed them to experience this difficult time for many years, this difficult long period of time in their lives in order to show them and to show God's people his glory. My wife and I, 
didn't have children for about 19 years. And that was challenging. It was difficult for us during that time in our lives. And, uh, and God blessed us after 19 years with two uh, beautiful kids that you sometimes see running around after the worship service finished. But when I go back on time, if I would go back on time, I would want to change what happened during these 19 years. Because God taught us many things through that, and we realize, and I personally realize, God's power because of that waiting time. I think that when Elizabeth and Zechariah saw God's answer in their lives, they, I think that for sure, they didn't want to go back and say, oh, I wish we have John when we were 20, on our 20s or 30s. Because they saw that there was a perfect plan that will bring glory to his name and that will strengthen the faith of Zechariah and Elizabeth because God did something that was above what any human being could do. So we call this first episode godliness and barrenness because they were godly. They were people who walked blamelessly before the Lord, but they went through this um, challenging period of time in their lives. Now, let's move on to the second part or the second point, which is a lifetime privilege. Now we have here in verse 8, as we continue reading, that... Zechariah is a priest, and he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. There were about 18,000 priests in Israel. Think about this, the amount of priests that were serving the Lord. And they, different, they take turns in different times, in different occasions, to serve God with different duties that they have. And... For many of these priests, getting to this point where they will have the great privilege of coming into the temple to burn incense, that will be the highlight of their lives. It says verse 9 that according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. He was chosen by lot according to God's prescription for Israel, but it was chosen by God, whom before the foundation of the world, we can know that before the foundation of the world, have decided that that day, at that moment, Zechariah will go into the temple to burn, uh, to burn incense as an offering before God. That incense will represent God's people's prayers ascending to God. And because of that, you see in verse 10, that a whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the door of incense. Zechariah is going into the temple to burn this incense, and the people are outside praying. Good question to ask for us is, what were they praying for? For sure, they might be praying about some personal things, 
but also we could see from the rest of the test that they were praying for something that was related to the whole nation of Israel. But here the point is that Zechariah is having a great privilege of coming and serving in the temple, something that likely he had never experienced until this point in his life. And we know that he wasn't young because verse 7 tells us that they both, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were advanced in years. So finally, Zechariah had that great opportunity, a lifetime privilege. Then let's move to the next point, which is the mission. Then Zechariah is there. That, just that was a great blessing for Zechariah, and he was for sure excited, probably nervous, because he was doing something that was very serious. He was inside the temple bringing this offering before the Lord, and an angel of the Lord was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. What we know is that Zechariah was troubled, and the fear fell upon him. How would you be in a situation like this? An angel was not the kind of angels that we see in movies uh, that look like just human beings dressed in white, maybe with some wings. An angel will be, I would say, like an alien. In fact, he is from the spiritual world, coming and having connection with the physical world. And he is there, and it makes a lot of sense that Zechariah was troubled, and that fear fell upon him. He's there, he's excited about being there, but he wasn't expecting that. In fact, think about this. For 400 years, things like this have not happened in Israel. So there is no a close point of reference that Zechariah can think, oh yes, I hear about these things happening often in the temple. No. But the angel comes to Zechariah and says these words to not be afraid. In other words, I am no, I am here not to harm you. Do not be afraid. He's He's telling them, he's telling him not to be afraid because he's actually bringing to Zechariah good news. Maybe you can think like if there is this creature that is an angel, what is he going to do against me? But he's saying, do not be afraid. And he says, your prayer has been heard. Now, question we can ask to the test, what prayer was heard? What prayer was heard by God? Well, certainly we could say that Zechariah and Elizabeth for years pray about having a child. Because it was something that, especially at that time, people desired from the bottom of their hearts. And I'm saying especially at that time, because I keep hearing that there are some countries where people are trying not to have babies these days. But at that time, 
People were praying for that, and Zechariah and Elizabeth likely pray for that. Most likely, Elizabeth prayed more than Zechariah and reminds Zechariah, remember to pray. But is that all the prayer that was heard? I think that also when the angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, he was referring to the prayer that he and the people outside had, which was that they were praying for God to fulfill his promise by sending the Messiah that they were waiting for. Remember who was the king, Herod, king of Judea. Remember who was the empire, the Roman empire. Remember how long has it been since they haven't heard God's voice reminding them and refreshing the promise. Yes, people were praying for personal things, but likely people were praying that God will fulfill his promise and bring the Messiah. And how this prayer will be fulfilled? It will be fulfilled that Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John which means God has been gracious. In fact, Zechariah's name means God remembered. After 400 years, you could say God remembered his promise. Know that he forgot. So, the promise of John is in connection with the coming of the Messiah because he's coming to prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 14 tells us that this fulfillment or this prayer answer will bring joy to him and his wife. Yes, it will bring joy because they were praying to have a son for a long time. But not just about that because it will bring joy to many. Many will rejoice at his birth. Because in fact, it will bring joy because John was preparing the way for the Lord, the the joy that comes to the world. So in a sense, you could say that they were having double joy, the joy of having a child and the joy of knowing that that child was preparing the way for the Messiah who will bring the joy to the world. Also, the angel tells Zechariah that he will be great before the Lord. Think about another person that said that John was great, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. If you like Paul... If you like Peter, are inspired by Peter's promptness in going places and Paul's missionary journeys, think about John. Think about John. Jesus himself is saying that there is no one greater than John. Another important thing that is said about him is that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And we remember 
that encounter between Mary and Elizabeth and how John jumped in his mother's womb when he is filled with the Holy Spirit. With his filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here we get to the point of what is John's mission, and that's the mission. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I keep reading. I says, and he says, and I will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This verse has been confusing, and I assume that it might be confusing for you, especially when you read this part, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. There have been people uh, or many scholars wondering what is the meaning of that? What does it mean to turn the, fa- to turn the fathers to the children? Some have interpreted that this means that, that he will bring families together. That the fathers and the children won't have tension anymore. But I have a problem accepting that because we know that the coming of Christ actually, in many cases, divides families. In others, others have seen this as meaning that fathers will, fathers meaning the old way of thinking will turn into the new way of thinking, which is the way of thinking of the children. In fact, there are many other interpretations on this particular verse or line, but because we cannot have certainty, I think that a safe way to look at this verse is by looking Malachi, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that doesn't necessarily explain what it means to turn the father to the children and the children to the father but explain what is the consequence of that. It says like this in Malachi chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So I would say that probably I might not know exactly what it means to turn the father to the children, but I know that the consequence of that not happening is that there will be destruction if that doesn't happen. And I think that when you look Again, back in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I think that these verses are speaking about the effectiveness of John calling people to repentance. He's coming uh, in in the spirit and power of Elijah and his message turned people to God. Think about this. How many people follow John? We know that there were multitudes following John in his message. And his message was a message of repent. Repent and believe 
in the promise that God has given to the people of Israel. And we know that many followed John because after that, these same people left John to follow Jesus. So it means that when, when Gabriel, or the angel at this point, was telling Zechariah John's mission, he was telling Zechariah that his son would be a very effective prophet bringing people to God. Why? Because he was coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What was the goal of calling people to repent? It was to prepare the way of the Lord, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. How long has it been seeing the people of Israel hear a prophet speaking to them? 400 years. John was calling people to remember the promise that God had given to them, but also to remember the devotion that they ought to have before God. Therefore, he, people, the people of God will be ready for the fulfillment of the promise, which was, which was the coming of the Messiah. Let's move to the next part. A sign, a rebuke, and a promise. Verses 18 through 20. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I mean, it makes sense that Zechariah has this question in a sense, because he knows that how is it possible that, that God will reverse what has happened to our life, which is that we have become old. Maybe, in other words, maybe if he would have come earlier, when we were in our 30s or 40s, this would make more sense. But maybe it's too late for us. But on the other hand, think about this. The angel was there. Why did he need another proof? that God could do that. There, he was talking to an angel who was a messenger of God. So in a sense, you could say that he should have trusted the angel's words. Therefore, the angel have to get him to the point where he understands who was in front of him. He says, I am Gabriel. I am not just an angel. I am one of the three angels that appears in the Old Testament. You have heard about me, right? I am Gabriel. I'm before you. And not just that, I stand in the presence of God, which means God is before me as I'm telling you this. Trust me. In other words, I was sent to speak to you and bring to you no bad news, no something that should make you uh, fearful and concerned, but this is actually great news, what is happening right now. Remember that the angel have just told John, uh, Zechariah what John's mission will be. It was not just simply that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son, but that son will prepare the way of the Lord. That is the good news that he was bringing to them. Therefore, Zechariah, are you asking for a sign? 
Okay, I'll give you a sign. Behold, you will be silent. That is the sign. It's a sign. Because he will know that he wasn't able to speak because something supernatural came upon him that made him mute. That was a sign for the people that were outside as well when they saw him walking out. And at the end, you see later that people realize that he has seen a vision. And that's something that has not happened in Israel for 400 years. That was a sign. But it was also a rebuke. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words. He should have believed. At the very moment he saw the angel speaking to him. So it was a sign and it was a rebuke. But also there was a promise. What was the promise? The promise is that he would not be mute for the rest of his life. The promise is that this will happen until the day this thing takes place. Think about all these things were going on in Zechariah's mind. I got my sign, I got rebuke, and I got a promise. And then he's leaving. Then we have the following part, which is going home in silence. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. He was supposed to come in, burn the incense. They, they can see the incense going up. They are praying, and, and Zechariah is not coming back. That's not coming out. Something must have happened. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that, they, that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs. He went home without voice. Why? Because he didn't believe, but also because God was giving a sign to him and to the people of Israel that he had spoken. Think about this. Think about that. Zechariah simply believed the angel's words and didn't get that sign. He goes out and probably the people that were outside will not have evidence that God has spoken again. Because you know that, I mean, try to stay quiet for a day. Right? Hard. Now try to do that for five months, which is what Zechariah had to do. That was a proof and an evidence that God has spoken again. It's interesting also that God spoke and Zechariah is muted. Finally, we get to the last point, which is the reproach is taken away. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden. Why was she hiding? I let you think about that yourself. But when she uh, knows that she's pregnant, she said these words, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when, I, when he looked on me and take away my reproach among people. 
With this, Elizabeth is revealing to us and revealing to you and to me how she felt about the fact that for many years she had no children. She says, to take away the reproach among people. That's how people felt about her. That's what people talk about her. But God removed that and gave that blessing to her. That she will have a child, but it's not just a regular child. The greatest man in the history of the world, of course, we have Jesus and then we have John. It is also interesting that even though you, I would say we, we are not called to apply this directly to us in this way, but also when Christ comes to our lives, he removes the reproach that we all have before God. He comes, cleanses us, gives us new life, and we have the joy of knowing that Christ is in us. Now, the silence was broken, right? 400 years of silence. Then Jesus came, dwelt among us, went to the cross, died on the cross, resurrected, went up to heaven. Does it mean that now we are living under the same silence? No. We have the Word of God that is speaking to us every time we open the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us that give us understanding of the Word of God. God has continued to talk until today and will continue to talk until the day Jesus will come. But how should we pray as the people that awaited outside the temple when Zechariah was offering that burnt offering or that incense. I think that we should pray that Christ comes. The people of Israel were praying that the Messiah will come and fulfill the promise. We should pray Maranatha. Christ, come. We are here during this season of the year celebrating the coming of Christ but this should remind us also that we are here looking forward to that glorious day when Christ will come again let us pray Heavenly Father we thank you that um, though we are sinners though we um, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You came to us and you gave us new life in Christ. We thank you that we can read this word, these words that you revealed, and we can trust that they are true. We thank you that you have given us the gift of faith to know that Jesus is our Lord. That as we look at around the lights and the decoration and everything that is celebrated that we know that that it is all about Jesus that that's what we celebrate as